0: Brick Moon Fiction Presents The Scarabee by Kelsey N. Narrated by Nicholas Thurkettle For God's sake, Vera, there's somebody out there. We've got to let them in. Wind and rain hit the cab like a fist, making it rock on its suspension. Even through the armor I could hear it pounding. If we could feel it even inside, it was hard to imagine someone on foot surviving for long. I peered at the windshield, but the rain and dark made that pointless but the IR sensor on the dash was clear. There was definitely someone out there, stumbling as they fought their way closer. Vera's eyes flitted between the scanner and my mother. She wasn't an indecisive woman, but agreeing would mean taking a huge risk. Open the damn door, my mother shouted. They'll die if we don't, and I'm not having that on my head. Either you do it or get the hell out of my way. The two of them locked eyes for several seconds but I knew how it would go. Fine, said Vera. We're not taking chances. Shelly, you take Laura and get to the back seats. Guns out. That was good enough for Mom, and she headed for the rear of the cab. I joined her on the passenger side, taking up my rifle and propping it on the next seat. We were both skilled with firearms. Vera's brother made sure of that. Although other than scaring off looters, I'd never seriously aimed at another human. I gave a ready signal, wondering if I could actually pull the trigger if it came to that. Vera hit the switch, and a wave of wind and rain blew into the cab. Even that little glimpse of the storm was intense, but thankfully brief as the stranger managed to pull themselves up the ladder and throw themselves inside, completely drenched. The door slammed behind them, and all was silent again. For several minutes, we were acutely aware of the newcomers' ragged breath and the drip of water from their clothes. The noise outside seemed to fade away. I was so focused on keeping my gun steady. This was dangerous territory, so even exhausted from crawling up the side of the scarabee, they were a potential threat. All I could do was wait and see. Finally, their breathing slowed, and they gave one great sigh, leaning back against the seat. The stranger raised their hands, pulling back the hood and face covering. Her dark braided hair, intense eyes, and high cheekbones were all we needed to see. Exactly what we were afraid of. We were about 20 kilometers east of the Rivière-de-Loup when we finally got back onto the remains of the Trans-Canada Highway. There wasn't much of the original road left, but after most of a week fighting through the woods, it was a welcome sight. Little of the original asphalt remained, but the old roadbed was more or less intact, a path that ran far out of sight. A long time ago, my mother said, This was the main access between the Maritimes and the rest of the country down that narrow band between Maine and the St. Lawrence River. But as the storms got worse and working so far from solid shelter became a dangerous proposition, it deteriorated more and more. Soon the only land connection left was by rail. When the First Nations rebelled, reclaiming territory taken from them 200 years ago, even that got cut off. It was their land now, made all the more dangerous by what we were driving. The scaraby was a light-armored transport designed for difficult terrain. With a segmented body like the beetle it was named for, the front section seated ten soldiers in full gear as well as the driver, while the rear could be fitted for personnel or cargo as needed. The body rode on six legs, each equipped with wide wheels to provide stability. Each wheel could be locked in place, allowing the vehicle to walk after a fashion reinforcing the insect-like impression. Ours was retrofit to handle hydrogen cells, and medium armor was replaced with lighter plate for less weight in marshland. Any of the armed factions in the region would prize it, so we went overland, avoiding the towns and cities as we ran east. But why was a valuable piece of military equipment hidden in an abandoned barn in Frankville? She was a stocky, solid woman, that much I could tell even through the layers, if it came down to fighting hand to hand, I knew none of us could take her. Her face was tanned from spending most of her time outside in harsh conditions. There was an intimidating toughness about her, and her hard, assessing glare made me stiffen and grip my rifle tighter. After judging us each in turn, her posture relaxed, and the dangerous look in her eyes faded. Don't worry, she said. I'm no threat. Her voice was a little ragged although I didn't know if that was from exertion or lack of use. She had a heavy accent that was somewhere between rural French and her tribe's language. It could have been Cree or Micmac. I couldn't tell. My name is Lockie. I give thanks for the shelter. Shelley, my mother said. This is my daughter Laura and my wife Vera. I gave as polite a nod as I could while keeping my weapon steady. If you don't mind my asking... What brings you out on foot in a night like this? We're a long way from town. I'm a trapper. My lines are all along this stretch. Got a few shelters that I can run to when I need it, but my ATV got mired about a half-click from here. The storm came up fast while I was trying to free it, so I'm lucky you came along. I glanced at Vera. Her relationship with my mother and I was already strained since our trip began, but we had no choice but to follow her lead. There was no question she was most experienced. Her expression was unreadable, but she lowered her pistol, which we took as a sign to do the same. I let out a breath I didn't realize I was holding. Mom was the first to actually move, finding towels to pass to the still-soaked newcomer as if no confrontation had taken place. He must be chilled through. I'll fix something to warm you up. Then she was gone into the rear section that carried our supplies and makeshift kitchen. When she left, she took the conversation with her, leaving an awkward silence. Vera only sat there, watching Lockie remove her outer garments and lay them across the seat behind to dry. I could see she was as well built as I suspected, the muscles in her shoulders fully visible. As she dried herself, I saw her glance, just for a moment, toward Vera. It was a hard look, and I thought I could see anger as well. But then it was gone, and she turned to me. ''We don't get many tourists,'' she said. ''What brings you by?'' ''The Americans took Kingston,'' Vera said, surprising both of us. Her tone was so flat, she could have been reading stock quotes. ''Metro Toronto got bombed out. When we left, there was fighting in the GTA, street by street.'' Lockie didn't so much as turn her head. I could see her expression change to something between anger and worry. Not surprising, given how close we were to the border,'' but I couldn't shake the feeling there was more to it. When Vera didn't continue, I spoke up. It's only Ontario. They've sent troops into the prairies, too. Calgary got hit bad, but so far they've left B.C. alone. The fighting was coming close, so it was too dangerous to stay. You made a good choice. They've left the Maritimes alone for now. Probably don't want to spread themselves too thin. Besides, if they're after farmland, the East won't be a priority she looked thoughtful. If she was planning to say anything else, Mom's return stopped her. She carried a molded tray loaded with insulated mugs, which she passed first to Locky, then to Vera and I. This should take the chill off, she said, putting the tray aside. Vera lifted the lid on hers, whipping her head up when she caught the scent. Coco? Shelly, this is for... Don't. She didn't raise her voice. She didn't need to, The cold, clipped tone made Vera flinch. It wasn't a voice I heard often from my mother, but since we fled Ontario, it became commonplace. Mom stared at her wife without blinking until she slumped in her seat and took a quiet sip, all but admitting defeat. My mother turned back to Lockie as if nothing happened. This isn't much, but please accept our hospitality. I understand we are trespassing on your land, and we apologize for that. If you allow us we'll be on our way as soon as the storm passes.' She gave a slight, formal bow. "'Thank you for your kindness,' said Lockie, halting a little as she picked her words carefully. I could tell she wasn't used to formality. "'I can't speak for my people. I'm a simple trapper. But I assure you, I am not here to stop you.' Something about how she said that made my ears perk. Although I tried not to make it obvious—' There was an odd stress on that last word, as if she meant my mother specifically. It would have been awkwardness, but after the look she gave Vera, I couldn't write it off. All that aside, she continued in a more casual voice, This cocoa is excellent. I haven't had any since I was little, so this is quite the treat. It's the same for me. I don't think the crops will ever be what they were before the blight. But now that I think of it, do you know what the Maritimes are like? Laura and I have never visited. The two of them fell to chatting like old friends catching up. Mom had a talent for putting people at ease which seemed to work on Lockie, who seemed more open and friendly, which made me wonder where the look she gave Vera earlier came from, since I couldn't see anything to provoke it. Vera remained sullenly quiet, watching with that same odd expression. She might have been smarting after the confrontation with my mother, but I doubted that. Since revealing the scaraby and leaving Franktown, their relationship deteriorated. Her refusal to answer questions and increasing irritability on top of the other pressures we were under strained Mom's patience past tolerance. I saw how Vera acted their fights, and this was definitely different. Up until the invasion, Vera was an open, supportive woman with a good sense of humor. She and her brother took over an old farm after a drought hit the prairies, But unlike their northbound neighbors, they headed east. It wasn't a bad choice. Things still grew more or less reliably in the region. We believed her story for a long time, until the night that she pulled open the doors of the old collapsing barn. That's when we realized it was all a lie. You don't learn to maintain and operate a military transport by growing cabbages. Which led to the other issue that bothered me. Why wasn't Lockie curious about the scarabee? Even the most out-of-touch woodsmen would find it strange to see an enemy machine in their territory, much less one driven by civilians. None of it made sense, like a puzzle with most of the pieces missing. Without being sure I couldn't speak up, and at that point I was sure of nothing, all I could do was pay attention and hope something clicked. I must have been deep in thought since my mother's voice took me by surprise. I need to get some sleep, she said. I'll be in the rear if you need me. You can stretch out on the seat if you want. It looks like Laura's well ahead of you. I'm sure Vera will keep you company. I felt a blanket cover me and a whispered good night. So she must have assumed I was already asleep. Save for the pounding wind and rain, silence filled the cab. I must have drifted off after all, since the next thing I remember was hushed voices from the forward seats. The storm only allowed a shallow sleep and my internal clock said it was late at night. I kept still and tried to listen in, hoping to make some sense out of my earlier suspicions. You have a nice family, I heard Lockie say. It took a moment to recognize the voice. Her tone was so different from earlier, more threatening somehow. Vera didn't answer immediately. I could picture that strange expression, closed off but intent as she watched the other woman. They are, she said finally, in the same flat tone as before. Shelley, especially. She's very open, surprising, given the situation. She's adaptable. Hmm, confident as well. You were lucky to find her. It didn't sound like a compliment. Vera didn't respond. And that girl, Laura, was it? She continued. Seems like the quiet type. She must not give you much trouble. She's not my girl, said Vera. It was a strange thing to say for a woman who acted as a parent for more than half my life. There was a sort of sadness to her voice, as if acknowledging there was little hope of repairing her family. They're good women, Lockie said, still serious. Shame they're caught up in this mess. Again, Vera didn't answer. She might have nodded, but I didn't dare raise my head to see. All I could do was wait. After several minutes, Locky spoke up again. "'So,' she said, her voice even more menacing than before, "'You call yourself Vera now.' I heard a shuffle from Vera's side. "'How did you—' "'Don't try to deny it. "'I know who you are. "'But I'll call you Vera or whatever you want. "'Soon it won't matter.' "'No,' said Vera, hardly more than whispering. "'You're right.' It's all over, isn't it? It's never over, Lucky hissed, a note of anger in her voice. What you did will never be right again, but at least I'll have a little satisfaction. But you didn't run alone. Where's the other one? He's dead. Pneumonia, a little over two years ago. I almost sat up hearing that. Uncle Bill? jokey, generous Uncle Bill, who taught me to fish and tie knots? And shoot, I reminded myself, how to shoot like a professional. I didn't like where this was going. I heard a muttered, good, from Lockie before they both stopped talking again, giving me a minute to think. Vera took us in when I was six years old, running from the food riots in Peterborough that killed my father. I don't remember much of the trip, other than hiding in the day and traveling at night with no lights to avoid the gangs. We met Vera on the road, sure she was going to hurt us, but she and Bill welcomed us into their home, a rambling old farmhouse in a little farming village. We made a life there, all four of us. Mom grew close to Vera and after a few years they married. I turned to Bill instead, taking him as a mentor. He taught me a lot and in retrospect, most of those things revolved around survival He was also a perceptive man, given to gathering data piece by piece before taking action. I took after him in that sense as well. Whatever Vera and Lockie were caught up in, Bill must have been as well. Neither told us the truth about their pasts, as close as we were to them, working on the Scarabee in secret. Wherever the truth lay, the two of them were anything but farmers. Lockie interrupted my thoughts. No use putting this off any longer, she said. You've had far too much time to think it over. This is more mercy than you deserve. This time I couldn't sit still. Lockie didn't see me. She was far too focused on Vera. I watched her raise her hand up, holding a heavy gauge pistol. She aimed high at first, then lowered it to aim directly at Vera's head. Vera closed her eyes, and she was mouthing something that could have been a confession or prayer. I had no way to know. I wish I could make this hurt more," said lockie. "That's enough," I shouted, surprising both of them. lockie's weapon twitched at the exclamation and started swinging in my direction before she realized she was staring down a rifle barrel. This time my hands were steady. If I had to, I knew for certain I would pull that trigger. "Put it down," I said, surprised at my own calm. There was a calculus running behind the eyes that locked with mine but her hand stopped, and that was enough. Whatever deliberation she made came out in my favor as she brought her weapon down to her side. When she raised her hand again, it was empty. I glanced at Vera, but she just sat there, wide-eyed. She was no threat, so I snapped back to Lockie, whose eyes were still on me. She didn't speak. Laura, what are you doing? Shut up, Vera, I snapped. You keep your hands where I can see them, too. I don't trust either of you right now. Lockie seemed to relax a little, although she remained wary. Are you sure I'm the one you should be aiming at? She's the criminal here. If she expected me to be shaken, she was in for disappointment. You're the immediate threat. Don't worry, I've got enough bullets for both of you. Listen to her, Vera said. My top gunner trained her. She's a better shot than I am. Locky raised an eyebrow at me, then frowned. You've been running with a dangerous crowd, girl. There's more going on here than you know. You'd be surprised what I know. But you're right. I don't have the whole story. And you two are going to give it to me. Another glance at Vera. This time I'm not asking. Locky sat back. But before she could speak, Vera cut in. I'll do it. I was going to tell both of you after we got to safety but that's blown all to hell now. You've got a right to hear this, so let me. This isn't only your story, I told her. I know you're both involved, so I'll hear from both of you. But you can start. Lockie nodded, as did Vera. I gave her a slight nod as a go-ahead, then steadied my sights again. Vera took a deep breath, then another. There's no easy way to say this, she swallowed hard. I was at Manawaki. It would have been simple to take me off guard then, but Lockie was also distracted by the statement. It was the biggest bombshell she could have dropped, but inside my head I could feel puzzle pieces snapping together. Vera and Bill, the scarabee, her refusal to speak and Lockie's involvement, all the data started to make sense. Nobody forgets the name Manawaki, the greatest atrocity on Canadian soil in generations, and the event that finally tipped the First Nations Coalition from unrest to outright rebellion. Almost twenty years ago, after years of failing crops, dangerous weather, and an indifferent federal government, resistance factions began to form among the northern tribes, pushed against a wall, with more and more refugees from the south encroaching on treaty lands they chose to fight back. Only small skirmishes and protests at first, but the situation continued to escalate. That was the backdrop when one band assembled a roadblock on Highway 105, just south of the town. It should have been simple. Routine, even. The Army and RCMP standing by to keep the peace while negotiators did their work. Maybe the natives would walk away with a few new concessions if all went well. That time would be different. The Army came as expected but instead of standing by, they broke the blockade without any warning, taking the warriors by surprise. Deadly force was used from the start. The soldiers were ruthless, not caring if their targets were warriors or civilians. Very few managed to escape. The commander, Gagnon, turned himself in and took full responsibility, but the damage was done. Maniwaki became a rallying cry for groups across the country, and decades of bloodshed began. I glanced at Vera. The look on her face assured me it was the truth. I drove the lead transport, she said. The man you know is Bill. He was the top gunner. We had two scaraby full of troops, a light tank and an armored dozer. Old cars and cement barriers barely slowed us down. I still feel the impact when we went up and over, while Bill kept firing at anything he saw. That's what I remember most, being the first one to cross that line the moment we committed, and it was too late to turn back. My eyes were unlucky as Vera told her story. Her breathing grew heavier, and she seemed to forget I was there, focused on this woman she hated. But she kept herself under control. I could see her right arm twitch, knowing her pistol was down there. No, I told her, and said it again before she responded. I'm not going to, she said voice, husky. Not yet. That's all I ask. The whole story. Nothing left out. Then we decide what happens. Are we clear? We're clear. As if she didn't hear us, Vera started again. Everyone thinks Gagnon went rogue, that he ordered us to do it. It was all his idea, they said. That's a lie. He said it to get us off the hook. We were all guilty. He might have hated the natives more than any of us, but everyone agreed with him. It was stupid and unfair, but to us they were obstacles in the way, and we hated them for it. Our families and friends were suffering food shortages already, and the storms kept getting worse. People, our people, were dying. So when Ganyan and the others said natives were all lazy drunks living off handouts, we resented them. We believed they were the enemy. "'All of you are monsters,' Lockie said with venom, but she kept still. "'You're right. I'm a monster. I ran away from it, didn't want to admit it to myself, but I remember how it felt. The bang as we went up and over, crushing anything in the way. The sound of the top gun tearing people to pieces. I remember how it felt.' Driving over tents that I knew still had people in them, and opening the doors so the troops could shoot runners in the back. Twenty years, and I can still feel it. I can still remember how good and right it felt. If you were right, then why did you run? Vera hesitated. I can't take the credit for that. It was Bill. After the whole thing was over. He pulled me up through the hatch and showed me what we did. At first, all I could think of was we won. But the look on his face was so sad, so broken. He told me we didn't win anything. All we did was murder people. While he talked, I looked around at all that blood, the bodies, and I started to understand. There was no victory, only slaughter. Without the adrenaline and the others telling me it was fine, I couldn't deny that we... I did something terrible. Bill was the one who decided we had to desert. We needed to stop killing. So when the natives hit us with a counterattack after Gagnon left, the two of us got away in the confusion. We ended up at an abandoned farm and hid the scarabee there. Bill was smart. He got us new names, new documents. You ran. You ran and never paid for what you did. None of us paid, shouted Vera. Only Ganyon did. The rest of them were split up, but they all convinced each other what they did was right. They would have convinced me too. That's what I'm like. By then she was crying, something I rarely saw. If I stayed, I would have just kept on killing. Don't think I wouldn't. Lockie was unmoved. You've never paid for anything. You ran and protected yourself. Do you think feeling bad is enough? That helping those two makes up for the people you murdered? I've been wanting to make you pay for real all these years. And when I saw you coming. About that, I interrupted. You getting stuck just as we were coming along. That's a hell of a coincidence. You weren't stranded at all, were you? She shook her head. You're sharp. No, and you likely know I'm not a trapper. Or not just one. My job is scout, watching the main border. I didn't know the invasion was underway, but things have been tense for a long time. There are monitoring stations all through the area, so I was able to pick you up as you passed Quebec City. You said an ambush. Essentially, yes. But I didn't realize it was this scarabee until I got close. I didn't think I'd be that lucky. But once I saw the insignia, I knew who you were. The storm was just convenient timing. I couldn't bring myself to cover it up, Vera said. Even when we switched out the armor, Bill and I painted it back on. To remind us of what we did, Lockie glared at her, but I spoke up instead. Is that why you took us in? Some kind of absolution? She nodded. At the start, yes. I wanted to finally help someone for a change. But your mother, she meant a lot to me. She kept me going, even if she didn't know it. But I guess that's all over now. You're not wrong, I told her, then turned to Lockie. You were there too, right? At Manawaki? I was younger than you are now. My parents took me with them to the blockade. My father was on the front line and the rest of us were there for support. That's how we did it back then, setting up for a long siege. Nobody expected a serious assault, but you know what happened. They just kept coming until she came right over our lines. Sorry, said Vera quietly. Silence, snapped Locky. You have no right to say that. Your gunner shot my mother in the back. My father was crushed under your wheels. Yours. You did that. My sister tried to fight back, but she died too. I'm only alive because I was far enough away to get into the brush before you people came around killing off survivors. I was there. I lost everything, and you will pay for that." She raised her weapon again, and I knew this time she'd do it. I had to choose, so while she steadied her shaking hands, blinking the tears away, I took my shot. The bullet went straight through her forearm, shattering the bone on the way. The gun fell from her now slack hand as she doubled over in pain. Bill would have criticized me for not taking a sure kill, but she didn't deserve to die. Vera might, but I couldn't let that happen. Not yet. Even before the ringing in my ears faded, I swung my rifle to Vera. Guns! Back here! Now! She may have been in shock, but she knew now to follow orders. Lockie's pistol and through that and her own were tossed into the rear seats. I threw the first aid kit forward. Patch her up. This isn't over. As she worked, I took a moment to relax, grateful for the moment to myself. Neither of them could do much now. Glancing at the rear hatch, I assumed that Mom heard the noise. If the shouting hadn't already woke her up, she would stay put until she heard the all clear, which left me responsible for cleaning up the mess. Vera got the bleeding under control and wrapped up Locky's arm. Luckily, I missed the artery but she wouldn't have much use of that hand for a while. I snapped my fingers to get their attention. I think it's my turn to talk, so listen up, I turned to Vera. First of all, don't expect forgiveness. I won't let what you did slide just because you feel guilty about it. I'm grateful you took care of us, but in the end you did it for yourself, so I owe you nothing. But you've got a job to finish, and I'm holding you to that, you hear me? I didn't wait for a response before turning to Lockheed now nursing her injured arm. You want revenge. I get that. I lost family to violence, too. It's a terrible thing. I won't tell you that looking for revenge is wrong. That's not my call. But I can't allow you to have it. Not today. She has to pay. My family. Shut up, I shouted, swinging my rifle square between her eyes. You're threatening my family, and I don't mean her. Don't even pretend that killing her won't put us in harm's way, or I swear it won't be your arm next time. Her eyes widened at my outburst. You know full well the Scaraby is the only way we could make it this far. Do you think either of us are trained to drive it? This isn't a pickup truck, Lockheed. So once you kill her, then what? You get your satisfaction, but you still have a duty to your people, don't you? Tell me you wouldn't take this back to them. I can't, she said quietly. As a scout, I cannot look the other way. We're fighting for what's ours, and we need equipment. Thank you for your honesty. So if you take away the only protector we have, and the only way to get to safety, whatever remains of that in the world, what's left for my mother and I? You might as well shoot us yourself. So forgive me if I don't care about your priorities. You're a threat to what I care about, and it just takes one twitch to make the problem go away. I locked eyes with her for a few moments letting that sink in. It was probably a bit petty, but after everything I wanted to make her sweat. She had to know I was pushed into a corner with nothing to lose. Then I lowered my rifle. I'm not going to do that. You'll make a deal with me. Not Vera, not my mother. This is between you and me. Can we do that? She looked like she was about to argue again, but decided against it. Instead, she sat back as a new, more thoughtful expression came over her features. What are your terms? It's simple, I told her. You put this whole revenge business on hold, for now. You've waited this long. Surely you can manage a little more. We keep traveling east, as planned, but we take you along, as an escort." We planned to give the scaraby to the government in the Maritimes when we got there, but you can let them know your people have a legitimate claim to it. We'll back you up, so with luck they won't argue. Once the two of us are as safe as we can manage, preferably on a boat to Newfoundland, you take both the vehicle and Vera back home, and do whatever you want with them. Then we all walk out of each other's lives. Is that acceptable? It took time for Lockie to answer, which I was willing to give. You can't hate someone so long over something so serious and expect to just set that aside. I had no idea what the cost of something like that was, but it wasn't my concern. If I refuse, what happens to me? Nothing. If you refuse, you leave. I keep your gun and you can still wait out the storm. After that, you're on your own. I doubt there's much you can do with your hand like that, and we'll be into New Brunswick before you can call in backup. She appeared relieved by the answer, and for a moment I thought she was going to take that option. Very well, she said instead. I agree to your terms. I swear not to harm that thing. She almost literally spat at Vera, but I was fine with that. I asked for respect, not cooperation. I swear to do everything in my power to see that you and your mother are protected. Other than that, I will make no promises. I ask for none, I replied, then swung the rifle barrel toward Vera. She was silent through the whole exchange. I want the same assurances from you. Swear you will treat Lachie with respect and not provoke her. Finish the job you started without any self-destructive nonsense." You will also tell Mom everything you told me. I can't trust you on anything else, but can I trust you with this? You can, she said, more subdued than ever. I swear, the same as she did. With that, I uncocked my rifle and finally laid it aside, letting my hands succumb to an attack of the shakes. For all my big talk, it felt like the fact we were all still alive was some kind of miracle. I slumped back in my seat, staring at the ceiling. You two are such a handful, I said, feeling weary. If it is any consolation, Laura, said Lockie, the hint of a smile making its way into her voice, you earned my respect today. I underestimated you badly and paid the price for that. You are quite a formidable woman. Thanks, I said, leaning over to rap out the all-clear signal, Now I wonder if there's any of that cocoa left. After all this, I think I've earned it. This has been a production of the Brick Moon Fiction Podcast. If you like what you hear, please give us a review on iTunes as it helps us find a bigger audience. For more information on Brick Moon and special offers, sign up for the Brick Moon Fiction newsletter at brickmoonfiction.com. Thank you for listening.